We're looking at Jeremiah 46, chapter 46 through 52. And what we're going to be talking about today is um, surrounding this question. Would I like for there to be a God? There's this story that goes like this. There was a man who believed that he was dead. Or he believed himself to be dead. And his friends being his friends, um, would invite him out to dinner, to restaurants, to um, movies, or whatever it may be, and he always denied. And the reason why he denied was because dead men don't go, don't do anything. They're supposed to be dead. And so, um, uh, continued to grow as a concern to his friends, um, what uh, they did was try to look for all these ways that they could prove to him that he was alive and he wasn't dead. And so um, they tried so many different things. Amongst many was uh, one where they brought the listing of the obituary, uh, obituary listing to him. And it was pages amongst pages and they showed it to him. But his reasoning was, well... Um, the editor missed my name. Um, that's that's what really happened. The editor missed my name. So uh, this man, um, uh, he was convinced that he was dead. And his friends were, they grew weary and they um, almost got to a point where they gave up. But then one of them had an idea. And he asked this man, he asked him, do dead men bleed? So, um, the, the man replied, no, dead men don't bleed. So his friend being his friend grabs a needle, pokes his finger and he starts bleeding. So when this happened, the man who believed to be dead, his reaction was, oh my gosh, dead men do bleed. And so, um, moral of the story is that um, this man believed so much that he was dead that it crushed any reality that could be. Uh, you see, the extent to which one wants to be the case controls the ability to see what is the case. So whatever we come to believe is what's gonna uh, uh, crush any reality that actually is and just because we believe it's reality doesn't mean it's real this dead man or this this man who was alive uh, believed himself to be dead so much that no matter what proof you showed him no matter how much he knew about being alive and living he believes himself to be dead um, in a similar way, um, the Bible speaks about this. You see, John 3.19 says that light came into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. You see, light being Jesus Christ came into the world, revealed himself to the world, um, but people of darkness. 
They didn't like, they didn't love, they didn't just like darkness. They loved darkness. We love darkness. Um, and so we see this as we're in Jeremiah, uh, the last chapters of Jeremiah, chapter 46 through 52. What we see is that there's the chosen people of Israel. Only half of them left because the northern kingdom had already fallen uh years before and so we have the southern kingdom that's left um, and they're supposed to be the chosen people of God but what we see is that there is judgment coming upon them and um, what we see is that even though they knew God even though they knew the reality of God because they had experienced him they had experienced his miracles they had experienced his presence they had experienced him face to face we see that the reality of it was that they they didn't believe in this God you have Jeremiah running around and giving prophecy and saying, if you don't just submit to this Babylonian kingdom, you're gonna, you're gonna be judged and you're gonna fall and you're gonna die. But they didn't believe. The question was not so much, does God exist? Because they knew God existed. The question for Israel was, would I like for there to be a God. And so what we're going to see in these chapters 46 through 52. Is that God brings judgment on the nations. God brings judgment on Babylon. Uh, God brings judgment on Judah as well. Uh, but in the midst of all of it. He, he's not happy. He's not joyful about it. His heart mourns because these nations chose to rebel against God. These nations chose uh, other things other than God. And so, in the midst of all of it, what we are going to see is that God, being God Almighty, is in the midst of it. And He is leading this judgment, but at the same time, it's for a greater purpose. It's for the dawning of hope. For the dawning of a new, uh, new beginning. And so... Um, if we go to chapter 52, uh, Jeremiah 52, verse 1, what we're going to see here is first the fall of Judah. We're going to revisit that. So we're going we're gonna to start at the end and then uh, go back to the beginning, um, to the first chapter. So let's see. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutual the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Je Jehoiakim had done. For because the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah, that he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, and on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. We see here that Zedekiah being the last king, one of the last kings of, Israel, of, of Judah, uh, what happens is that it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of that, the anger of the Lord came to the, uh, the anger of the Lord came 
uh, on Jerusalem. So if we remember back, Jeremiah warned them to submit to this coming uh, uh, conqueror, Babylon. And if they would just submit, that they would, they, they, they would live. Um, but Zedekiah... Uh, not having the courage to listen to, or not having the courage to actually obey the prophecy that Jeremiah was giving him. He rebels against the Lord. He tries to get help from Egypt down south, thinking, putting his trust in Egypt. And as we'll see, Egypt will also fall. Uh, but putting his trust in Egypt, and in as a result, uh, Babylon coming in and conquering, given into the hands of Babylon by the Lord. And so we see... If we jump down to verse 7, it says, Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled, and went out from the city by night, by the way of a gate, between the two walls, by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans uh, were around the city, and they went in the direction of Areva. But the army of Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains. And the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. So what we see here, what we see here is that the king of Judah, um, as, as soon as, um, they, the, the Babylonians breached the wall, all the king of Judah, along with all the men of war, flee and leave all the people, uh, back. And as they're fleeing, they get caught. The, his men leave. So, uh, the last thing that Zedekiah sees is his sons being put to death, his sons being assassinated. And then not only that, then they pluck his eyes out and take him to Babylon where he dies. So that's, we see that the judgment comes on Zedekiah, on the, on Jerusalem. Um, so, we see that his disobedience as a leader, as a king, um, and the nations as well, because he wasn't the only one, uh, brings judgment upon them. And then, not only that, but on verse 12, it says this, In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, who served the king of Babylon and entered Jerusalem and burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. Now this is important because not only was Jerusalem taken and destroyed, but so was the temple. And the reason it's important is because Israelites, the nation of Israel, had grown into this cultural idea that God only resided in the temple, that God's presence was in the temple, and that's the only place where it was. He was confined to that building. You see, as long as the temple stood, their faith was in the temple. Their faith and everything they trusted in was in the temple, and they completely... 
um, stayed, uh, they, they, they completely took their eyes off God and put it on something that was temporal, something that was here on earth. And so when the temple gets destroyed, their hope gets destroyed. And I wouldn't doubt it if one of the questions they had in their hearts was, is God really the God that he says he is? But then we see this judgment come. And, and, and these prophecies that come true. And we see the whole picture, but they didn't. Um, but uh, that's that's the fall of Judah. So Judah's evil rebellion led them to uh, fall and no longer be a nation. But also led to the desecration of the temple. Now if we go to chapter 46, back to chapter 46. What we're going to see is that God... He, he's not only going to judge Judah, he's also going to judge the nations. There's going to be this pattern that's going to happen where he's going to say that he's going to judge them, but he's also going to judge uh, and restore some of them. Chapter 46 verse 1 says, um, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet concerning the nations about Egypt concerning army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates at Karshmish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And so we see that here um, he's declaring judgments against this nation of the nation of Egypt. But what he's speaking specifically here is more of a battle that happened between Babylon and Egypt in the time when, <coughs> in a time when Egypt came to uh, uh, stop the advance of Babylon, so that uh, they had this battle. So Egypt comes up north. They have this battle, and what ends up happening is that Egypt loses that battle. Egypt ends up losing a number of warriors, and. Um, and so then they end up going back to the land. But what we see is that further down in the chapter, um, he not only talks about this battle as judgment, but then he talks against uh, about the land. And he says, the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, king of of Babylon to strike the land of Egypt, declare in Egypt and proclaim in Megdal, proclaim in Memphis and Tephnes, say stand ready and be prepared for the sword shall devour around you. So we see here that he declares judgment against the nation and against this his army and so in the midst of, of this judgment, in the midst of everything that's going to happen to Egypt. We see that he says in verse 25, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, said, Behold, I am bringing punishment upon Ammon of, the, of Thebes and Pharaoh in Egypt and her gods and the kings upon Pharaoh and who's, those who trust in him. So we see here that those who trusted in Pharaoh, because to, to the Egyptians, Pharaoh was one of the gods. And so they would put their trust in him. And so verse 26 says, I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their life, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. And then here he says, afterwards. So he says, the present and the future. He says, afterward, Egypt shall be inhabited 
as in the days of old, declares the Lord. 47 is about the Philistines, the judgment that comes about the, on the Philistines. 48 is about the Moabites. And if we go down to verse 7, he says, For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you shall all you shall be taken, and Chemish shall go into exile. The issue with the Moabites was that they trusted in their works, they trusted in their treasure, and they had a lot of pride in that. Um, but even though they trusted in all that, if we go to verse 36, and what we see here is that it says, Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the men of Kirharas, therefore the riches they gain and have perished. So what this tells us is that God is not bringing this judgment on them because it's his pleasure to judge and destroy uh, and all these other things. But the reason he's bringing this on them is because God is a just God. He's a God who, if he did not bring judgment, that he wouldn't be a just God. And so what he's saying here is, yes, I'm bringing judgment on these lands, but I'm not doing it out of joy. God is moaning. And so he's moaning for Moab because they're to be destroyed. And the reason they're to be destroyed is because they magnify themselves above the Lord. And um, even though all this happens, we see in verse 47 that he will restore their fortunes. And in the latter days, he will, um, despite this judgment, he will restore them completely. So in chapter 49... We see five nations that will receive judgment as well. Um, the first nation is Amen, which is uh, basically these are Lot's, one of Lot's descendants. And they will receive judgment. And it says because they trusted in their treasures, they would receive judgment. But then at the end of it all, there's, they're going to receive restoration. Then we see Edom, who are descendants of Esau. And so... Um, what we see there is that they're also going to receive judgment. And the reason why is because they had a pride of heart. Uh, so one, um, one of their cities was called Timon. Uh, and basically, uh, this, uh, city of, of Timon, we see it from, uh, the book of Job where one of his friends that comes and gives them counsel is Eliphaz the Temanite. And so what we see is that uh, Eliphaz, what he's later uh, told is that he gave worldly wisdom. It's all these friends come together and they want, they, they, they're giving, um, they're giving all this advice and counsel to Job as he's in pain and suffering. But everything they're saying at the end, what God really says is that you spoke things that you didn't know of and you just spoke and Timon, what he spoke was worldly wisdom. And so what we see here, uh, that, uh, the descendants of Esau, Edom, what ends up happening is that they, that judgment comes on them because of their pride in their world, in their worldly wisdom. Um, and so 
what ends up happening to them is that there's no restoration. What it is believed to have happened to them historically is that um, they lose their, their identity within the Roman Empire. They lose their identity within the Roman Empire when the Roman Empire takes over. And so uh, that's another city that gets, uh, or um, another nation that gets judgment. And so then we see Damascus. Um, in are the next ones. This is, was a capital of Syria, had already fallen to the Babylonians. And so this city was known as a city of joy, but it receives judgment because where they thought that they had nothing but joy, they were laid back and relaxed. The Lord says judgment is coming on you. And so it does. And uh, this city had already fallen by the time um, all this is happening. So then the next ones is Kedar and Hazor. Um, and what we see is that uh, this this two this nation nations they were east of the Jordan and they were on Israel's land. So remember the southern the at some point Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom fell first in the eighth century, and the southern kingdom fell uh, is it were we we saw how it falls in the sixth century. And so what we see is that this uh, Kedar and Hazor, they were east of the Jordan in Israel's land. And it was a nation who, because of their location, they were at ease. But what they did was that they would, when, when Israel was falling, when, when the northern kingdom was weak, they would go and they would raid Israel. They would take advantage of Israel. They saw them weak and they went and they took from them. And so because of all this, we see that God pronounces judgment on them. And we see Elam, uh, who, uh, is in chapter, who is in that, that chapter as well. And, um, I want to read that actually because what we see is that God is in this. Um, he is directly involved with the judgment and he makes it known. And he says in verse 35 of chapter 49, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break down Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them in fierce anger, declares the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. But in the latter days, I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. And so what we really see here is that he uh, pronounces judgment on the nations. But more importantly, what we see is that he um, has a direct involvement in all of it. And it's all for a greater purpose. Uh, yes, it's because these nations had magnified and had uh, uh, grown in wisdom and put their pride above the Lord. But when what... God is trying to, the point that God's trying to make is the point that he's been trying to make throughout the whole Bible, the point that he makes throughout the whole Bible. And that is that God is the omnipresent, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God. 
And so he knows the beginning and the end. And so what he wants is this relationship with uh, his creation. But those that choose not to accept it, not to receive it, then what they're basically saying is they want judgment. What they're saying is that they're bringing judgment on themselves. Um, the next nation that we see uh, who is a big player in this is Babylon. And so chapter 50 and 51. Uh, 50 is said to be the chapter where Babylon in the time that they're in, or basically present Babylon, uh, is um, they're judged for their deeds. Um, and so what we see um, is that they're going to be judged for these against Judah. And 51, um, what uh, many people believe is that um, 51, chapter 51 is future Babylon. So Babylon that we see in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, uh, where it's uh, during the end of days. It's a spiritual Babylon that will happen later. Um, but let's look at, at chapter 51 first, or chapter 50, I'm sorry. Let's look at chapter 50 first. And it says, um, chapter 50, verse 1, the word of, the word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not, and say, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her uh, her idols are dismayed. And then um, if we go to verse 17, this is what he says. Um, um, he says, Israel is hunted, sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at the last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has not his bones. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment on the king of Babylon and his land, as I punish the king of Assyria. So what we see is that um, he's speaking about Israel as a whole. He's not just speaking about Judah. He's speaking about the northern and southern kingdom as if they were one. So what he says is that Assyria were the first ones who invaded this, uh, the, the, who invaded the, the nations. And so they were the first superpower that came by. And so what they did is that they were the ones that conquered the northern king, the, the northern kingdom. Um, and then basically they were no more. Um, so then God brought judgment on them with Babylon, where Babylon came in and they also invaded everything. Um, and then that's how the, the, the southern kingdom fell, uh, Judah. And so what we see here is that he's speaking, when he speaks about judgment towards Babylon, he's speaking about judgment towards Babylon, uh, in reference to Israel as a nation as a whole. And verse 24, he says, I set a snare for you and you were taken, O Babylon, you did not know it. You were found and caught because you opposed the Lord. So what we see here is that he says he set a snare. So, 
Babylon was used by God to judge the nations and now they're being judged. It seems a little unfair, but what we see here is that Babylon was only used by God because Babylon had already hardened their hearts towards God. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, we see many times where Babylon was, would erupt Images would erupt statues and have and uh, and make laws where people had to worship these things or they would be put to death. One example is Daniel. It also reminds me of um, the Pharaoh Egypt in Exodus where he had already hardened his heart and because he hardened his heart, the Lord used that for his purpose. And so we see here that he says the same thing about Babylon. So Babylon will receive judgment, um, judgment for because they came uh, against the people of God because of their deeds of the people on God. So their gods will receive judgment. Um, their land is going to receive judgment and uh, they're going to receive judgment because m- mainly more than anything, because of defiance against the Lord. And so if we go to chapter 51, it says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will stir up the spirit of the destroyer against Babylon, against it, the inhabitants of Lebkamai. And I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her, and they shall empty her hand, her land, when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. So we see here that he's still speaking about Babylon, and he, uh, the judgment is coming more because of the temple. He speaks of the judgment because of what they did to the temple. They desecrated the temple of the Lord. Though it is a building, it was a representation of God here on the earth. In verse 11, it says, Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. So this is the vengeance for his temple. So verse 51 speaks about that um, more thoroughly. So verse 47 says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame and her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyer shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as Babylon ha- Babylon have fallen the slain of the, all the earth. Um, and this is again uh, chapter 51, believed to be um, a future Babylon. Uh, Revelation 17 and 18, uh, more in reference to the end of the days, where there will be judgment and vengeance and Babylon will ultimately fall. Um, so in, in, in these chapters, we get so caught up in all the judgment that it talks about, but, uh, I don't think, I don't believe that the Lord, um, that, that these prophecies were given just so that we could see judgment. But there's always something good in what God is doing. And so just as we're seeing all this judgment happening, uh, what we see is that in these chapters, these last chapters of Jeremiah, there's a glimpse of hope. 
So amongst the judgment and amongst everything, there's this glimpse of hope. Um, and, and, it, and that is greater than anything that any type of judgment that's in these chapters. And so we see two indications of that here. If we go to chapter 52, um, so chapter 52 speaks about two characters that, uh, that, that, that are that glimpse of hope. In verse 24, it says, uh, chapter 52, verse 24, and the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priest, and Sephaniah, a second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and seven men of king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the of the land who were found in the midst of the city. So we see here uh, there this there's this name Sariah. So um, what, who Sarai is, he, it tells a little more in, um, chapter 51, verse 59, basically, Jeremiah gives him a scroll to take with him to Babylon, he says, you're gonna go to Babylon, you're gonna take this scroll with you, when you get to Babylon, you're gonna say this, oh Lord, you have said concerning this place, that you will cut it off, so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. Um, so he says, and when you finish reading this, what's gonna happen is you're gonna tie a stone to it, and you're gonna throw it into the midst of the Euphrates. And what's gonna happen is that when it has that stone, it's gonna sink to the bottom. And so, in that same way, um, Babylon, that's a prophecy against Babylon. Now, this seems like this, uh, just a repetition of the judgment. But you see, there's something different of the, about this guy, Sariah. One, he's obedient to the Lord, unlike the, the, most of the nation of Israel or Judah. Um, but two, this Sariah, he is from the lineage of Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the priest who found who found the book of the law in the days that King, that Josiah was king. So he finds a book of the law. He takes it to Josiah and Josiah implements the book of the law. Um, and not only that, but he's also the grandfather of Ezra. Ezra is the one that, uh, one of the waves that goes back after the exile. He's one of the waves under um, the Persian Empire that goes back, is allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And his main purpose is to restore the, the to, to restore Israel spiritually, to restore them back to the book of the law. So that's important because there's this scroll that's taken, tied a stone around it, thrown to the bottom of the uh, Euphrates River. Um representing Babylon, but then we see that there's also from the from from uh Sir, the lineage of Sariah comes uh Ezra who's gonna restore the book of the law and is gonna restore Israel spiritually. Um so that's that's one glimpse of hope um that we see in this book and um and then in, in chapter fifty-two Verse 31, we also see one more, and he says, and it's Jehoiakim. Um, so Jehoiakim is one of the uh, last four kings of 
Judah before it fell. So it was Jehoahaz who king of Egypt or Pharaoh Egypt removed from power and he put an Eliakim in, in there. But uh, and renamed him Jehoiakim. So there's Jehoahaz, there's Jehoiakim, and then there's Jehoiakim, who is the son of Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim rebels against Babylon, he gets taken out of power, Jehoiakim gets put in, and then he's only serves for three months as king before he's taken out and he's sent to prison. So Jehoiakim is exiled to Babylon and then set, uh, put in prison. Um, and then his uncle Zedekiah is put in place who later rebels. And we know that he got his eyes plucked out and then he, he his sons die. So his whole lineage dies. So why is this important? Uh, let's read here. So he's in, he's in, uh, pri- he, he was in prison, exiled and put in prison. But in verse 31 it says, in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table and for his allowance a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death as long as he lived so we see here that um this evil Merodach he brings him out of prison for who knows what reason now if we if we go to Matthew 1, uh, chapter 1, what we see is that uh, we see the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and in the genealogy of Jesus, Jehoiakim is one of the, one of those that are there. Now this is, this is important because what, what we see in Jeremiah 22 is that Jehoiakim received a curse so in Jeremiah 22, uh, there's four parts of the curse. The curse is that Jehoiakim is going to be childless. Um, he will, he's not going to prosper in his life. And then none of his descendants would rule in Judah during his lifetime. So what we see is that there's this curse that, 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 this curse that God has placed on him. And so, um, it doesn't really explain how he is in Jesus' genealogy, um, other than um, what the book of Jeremiah really speaks about. So what the book of Jeremiah really speaks about is uh, constantly continues to remind Judah, along with the prophecies of judgment, that if they were just to repent, if they were just to amend their ways, then God would give them forgiveness and restore them. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah 29, that if they would just repent of their ways in their heart, like for real repent of their ways, then God will give them forgiveness and God will restore them. So what is believed is that Jehoiakim, after 37 years in prison, somewhere along the line, he repented to the Lord. And when he did, 
what we see is that um, he is given forgiveness and is restored. And not only that is he restored. This is what's important. What's important is that the Davidic line is preferred, uh, preserved. So what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse, uh, verses 10 to 15 is the Davidic covenant. So one of the uh, promises of the Davidic covenant was that uh, someone from the, from the house of David would always sit on the throne uh, of, of Judah. Um, and so what we see here is that Jehoiakim, the importance of this passage is that the line of David is being preserved. God is in all of it. God is um, preserving his word, preserving his promises and being faithful. You see, when Judah and Israel were unfaithful, God continued to be faithful to them. And what we see is that through Jehoiakim, um, the line of David is preserved. And later, um, we see him in the line of the true one king, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Um, we see him in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And through him, the line of David was preserved. Um, so this is important. So in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of all of this, what we see is that God preserved, that God preserved His promises. He was faithful when, when Judah and Israel were not. And so, in that same, uh, in that context, when I, when I say, um, when, when I pose this question, what I like for there to be a God, I pose it to you as well. Jeremiah, a prophet, and Judah, a nation, they were under the same circumstances. Babylon was at the door. Babylon was ready to invade. And they had a choice to make. They had a choice to stand. They had a choice to choose God or to trust God or to not. You see... Judah chose comfort. They chose feelings. They chose what they thought would work out better for them. But when they chose that comfort and all those feelings and everything else, what they were really saying is when the question is posed, would I like for there to be a God is, no, I wouldn't like for there to be a God. Not in this part of my life. Not in this uh, time. You see, Jeremiah, he didn't choose comfort. He didn't choose himself. He didn't choose good feelings or anything like that. See, Jeremiah the prophet, he chose to speak truth. He chose to speak what God was speaking through him. He chose to answer to his calling by answering this question with there is a God. I do want there to be a God. There was no question in his mind that he, he, that he wanted there to be a God. And so, um, in our 
walk in our relationship and our fellowship with God, with Jesus Christ, we can either choose to be like Judah, the nation of Judah, or we can choose to be like Jeremiah, the prophet, a nation or a prophet. What do I mean by this? Look at, go with me to Jeremiah 51, 50. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 50 says, You who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away and let Jerusalem come into your mind. Do not stand still, you who have escaped from the sword. You see, Judah had escaped from the sword. Jeremiah had escaped from the sword. Except Judah chose to stand still. By standing still, meaning they chose to stand still in a moment when God was saying, don't stand still. Submit to this nation. Submit to my will. Submit to who I am. I have a calling for you, Judah. But Judah chose to stand still. And they didn't choose to look at Jerusalem. They chose to look to Egypt. They chose to look to other nations. They chose to look to themselves. When they should have been looking to God and not standing still, but following God's leading. You see, Jeremiah, he didn't choose to stand still. He chose the harder path. He he chose the path that God was calling him to. I don't know about you, but Jeremiah did some pretty crazy things. But it was all under God's will. It was all words that God had spoken to him. And so, what are we going to choose? Are we going to are we going to choose to be a Jeremiah and follow the leading of the Lord? Follow who God is? Reality is that God has greater purposes than we do and so in all of this we need to not stand still we need to speak truth even when it's hard to speak truth we need to act even when we don't want to act we need to go against everything we are also that we can fulfill the purposes of God in our lives Let us not be the ones that say, I would not like there to be a God with our actions. Let us be the ones that say, there is a God and there's no question about it, whether I want Him or not. The reality is that there is, and I'm going to say, here I am, send me. So as we go and we continue to walk in relationship with our Lord and Savior. Let's walk in that light. 
Let's walk like we want there to be a God.